We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall of man, before the original sin, there was a paradise of pleasure, the Bible says, for Adam and Eve. They were utterly happy. Our first parents walked with the good Lord. They were utterly satisfied as they possessed the good Lord as their true wealth. And yet, there is no mention of mammon in the Garden of Eden, no undue attachment to material wealth, no disordered love of worldly goods or worldly gain. In fact, there's no mention of mansions in the Garden of Eden, no resort areas, no luxury items, no insistence on the absolute right to private property, no mention of fine silks and furs and rich garments. No mention of high-end appliances. In fact, they were largely lacking in material goods, being without clothing, without shoes, no jewels. And yet they had all they needed. They were self-sufficient, providing for themselves while relying on the one true God and three divine persons. They lived a more simple life, too. They did work that was productive. They valued human labor. They weren't all about career and careerism. They knew that they were first and foremost children of God, that they were husband and wife called to be parents of the human race. Adam and Eve, as you know, as we all know, were given the task of cultivating and tending the garden, as the Bible says. And they were to do so in a proper way, to practice proper stewardship over creation as they subdued the earth. They were to use the land wisely and to farm it in a natural way. They were not called to abuse creation or to dominate it or to denature creation or genetically modify the nature of things in the garden. Adam, the Bible says, named all the animals and he knew about creation, and he knew how things worked best in tending the garden. They did not have the mindset of today's throwaway culture. But with the original sin of our first parents, this lifestyle was threatened. They would be thrown out of the garden, 
they would face the cold world that would resist them. And as the generations passed, as they passed away, it seems that man has become even more an abuser of the nature of things. Creation has become something not to cultivate and to watch over, but rather to dominate and to denature. We become far more materialistic and we live in a throwaway culture. Most of us sit in front of a computer all day and rarely think about farming or raising animals. Most of us are not that self-sufficient. Careerism seems more important than one's vocation in some families. And it's interesting how often our dearest Lord mentions Genesis and the beginning of creation. In the gospel, he mentions Genesis quite often. In fact, the Son of God and Son of Mary is often calling us back to how things were in the beginning. When correcting the Pharisees and scribes regarding Moses' allowance for divorce, our Lord stated, quote, in the beginning it was not so. In the beginning there was no divorce, no polygamy, no contraceptive mentality. And if our Lord were to look uh, at us today with all of our big agricultural corporations, Cargill, Monsanto, Purdue, Tyson, etc., etc., if he were to look at the use of chemicals, sodium nitrate, or the denaturing of things with the introduction of GMOs, genetically modified organisms or living organisms whose genetic material has been artificially manipulated in a laboratory through genetic engineering, which creates combinations of plant, animal, bacteria, and virus genes that do not occur in nature or through traditional cross-breeding methods. If he were, the good Lord, to see our throwaway culture, our disconnection from the nature of things in creation, our lack of the knowledge of creation, what kind of mushrooms can we safely eat, do we know? Where is a particular star or planet in the night sky? Where is it supposed to be each night, each evening? Or when to plant this crop or that crop? What bait to use to catch this fish or that fish? Or how to preserve things? What would our Lord say about the virtual world we live in, where people live in an artificial or even fantasy-like world? Or what would he say about our focus on careerism over our very vocation? In short, he would say, in the beginning, it was not so. And so we're, we're in need of healing. We're in need of healing and perhaps recapturing, at least a little bit in a fallen world, a little bit of the ideals of the Garden of Eden. And this evening, we have a wonderful married couple, also a mom and dad, as our guests, namely Ben and Caitlin Mason. And so uh, maybe the two of you could introduce yourselves and uh, maybe give us an idea about um, how you arrived uh, at our parish, but also how you arrived at this sort of way of recapturing a more human way of living, including permaculture farming. Uh, 
I'm Caitlin and this is Benjamin uh, Mason. You may have seen us around the parish. We have five little kids and um, we started coming to Our Lady of Lourdes in December. We moved to Kentucky, back to Kentucky. Uh, let's see, it was January of last year. And so we've been in the area since then, but only at Our Lady of Lourdes since December. So we're pretty new there. And we came back to Kentucky because we were seeking um, really getting back to natural ways of living and trying to um, start farming and um, living just a more natural life. We were in Charlotte and trying to do some of that there and things got really hard. Benjamin had a very busy corporate job in Charlotte and we had an opportunity to come here. Um, we have family here in Kentucky, which is great. And we had an opportunity to, um, to have my husband in a job where he could work from home and then also be farming on the side and not getting up at 4.30 in the morning and trying to fix chicken wire and stuff like that, which is what we were doing in Charlotte. So this gave us the opportunity to really start exploring um, this way of life. So I was going to work from home before it was even cool. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then everybody did it. <laughs> right. So maybe, I, I think, at least earlier you sent me a PowerPoint. So maybe you could give us like an introduction to what you're trying to do with your life as a, as a family, including the, the topic of permaculture. So if you wanna share the screen with your PowerPoint, that would be great. Okay. Absolutely. So we do have our littlest one with us. If you hear some, some yes. noises, that's, that's Trent in the background, so. We like Trent, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> the others get to spend the evening with grandpa, so that's fun for them too. I like that title, by the way, Permaculture Simplicity and Stewardship. I like that, so. Very good. Very good, so why don't you begin with your presentation? Okay. Can you see the screen all right? What's that? You can see the screen okay? Yes, I can see it fine, yes, thank you. Okay. Okay, so this is our, um, our topic. Like you said, we're gonna be talking about permaculture, simplicity, and stewardship. So let's go ahead and get started. So this is where we live now. So this is uh, a farm that's called Eucharistio Farms near Williamstown, Kentucky, actually in Williamstown, Kentucky, just not the city, as you can see. And we started living here, let's see, it would have been February, March of last year. And there's actually a family that lives here too. There's actually another family that lives um, here as well. And so we're farming with them. So we're doing things with um, our, our family and then this other family as well. This is our home here. You can see we have this ridge that's our property and we are building a home um, right in that circle. You can kind of see it going up under construction there. Um, we're a little past that now. We've got a roof over our heads in here. Right now we're in the basement. Um, so we're actually living in the basement of the home that we're building. Um, and we're praying about the upstairs because eventually we have plans to finish it. But right now, with everything that's gone on, we're just trying to get into the basement and, and start living on this farm. Um, we were in a camper some last year and then um, Benjamin had an accident. And so our plans changed, shifted quite a bit um, from what we had anticipated. But this is where we're building and farming as well. So we're still farming here. Now, this is our homestead. So this is our ridge. 
And that's the home where we're building. This is actually taken on the day my husband fell through the subfloor. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Was very unfortunate. Yes. He's right there on the roof. Uh, but this was this was over the summer is when this picture was taken. And like I said, we're a little farther now. Okay. So how did this start? So this started, it really started with the gospel. I had not, I, we were both raised in the Catholic church and the Catholic faith, but I had not read the gospel like start to finish before. I'd heard pieces and I'd read snips here and there, but never like the whole thing until I was pregnant with our first daughter and I was in a Bible study at the time. And I, I read this verse right here. It says, whoever has two tunics should share with the person who has none and whoever has food should do likewise. And that was really, it really stuck out to me in this really literal way where I felt this call to just really pare down. We have been blessed in our lives to know a lot of abundance in our childhood and just in our lives in general. And so we had a lot of blessings that we realized we could share. Um, so the phases of our journey. So when we first met, that was back in 2005. We got married in 2009 and had um, started having children in 2013. You'll see that's where phase two started. <laughs> so everything before that is like a, a different life, right? Like children change you and, and you start to really mature and grow in different ways. So um, it coincided though, because we started, like I said, recognizing our abundance. I remember feeling this, um, just this sense that we should have this, what, what I call the simplicity party. So I invited friends over and we started just talking about like tearing things down, doing things more naturally with our cleaning products and things like that. And just really starting to, to narrow in on uh, natural ways of living. And then we ended up out of our abundance, realizing I, it was really heavy on my heart to start a ministry called Mary Garden Showers. Um, we have baby showers for women in crisis pregnancies. So I mentioned that because that was kind of a precursor for us, like before we ever were um, in this permaculture farming world, we were, we were developing and growing in our stewardship and just basic stewardship, basic care for others. Um, and then it, it slowly started to evolve because as you can see, phase three, uh, we were living in an, a subdivision with an HOA getting letters about having a clothesline up in the backyard that wasn't allowed. And um, we had this desire for fruit trees. My husband grew up with these amazing fruit trees that I'd heard so much about. And we wanted to plant some, but that wasn't the neighborhood. So phase four, we, we shifted houses and we moved to four acres in downtown, not downtown Charlotte, but like within, it was in, it was in the city, four acres in the city. And we had the experience of reaping all these beautiful, wonderful berries that we never planted. So there were blackberries and blueberries and we started to get a sense of the seasons and you know when this thing is ripe and when you should plant this. And that was really, that was really a great experience. And then we had chickens um, there as well and we learned how to butcher them and learned gathering eggs and that whole process of keeping chickens. And then we were praying about where to put the orchard. They say chickens are the gateway animals. So. That's gateway, yes. That's where we, that's where we started. And you might share about the orchard. Um, we, were, we were trying to figure out where to put an orchard on the property and felt really strongly like 
Benjamin is, he was praying that it wasn't supposed to be there, that, that the orchard wasn't supposed to be there in Charlotte. And so we were like, okay, Mary, Jesus, what does that mean? Where are we, where, where are we going? Um, and ultimately we- And actually it was that afternoon, I had, we had made a, a I had a, the sur- I took the survey that we had and I was actually like drawing out where everything was gonna be on this property in Charlotte, you know, our orchard. And we were talking about having pigs in the woods, even though we were in the city limits, we were gonna try to make that work with regulations and all that. And um, just trying to figure out where all this stuff was gonna be. And yeah, very clearly in prayer, I heard that it wasn't going to be there. And, and it was that afternoon, a family came and, set, and mentioned you know, out of the blue, Actually, they, it was a more really like a Craigslist deal kind of thing. They were coming yeah. to pick up a printer, and <laughs> and they they mentioned Northern Kentucky, kind of out of the blue. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe that's where we're going. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So then um, we ended up. This is a. This has been our transition. What we're calling our transition here, because this house that we're sitting in, you know, is just now to the point almost ready to live in. Um, but through this year, we. We've been in a camper. We've been living with our in-laws and my parents and his parents um, and just kind of transitioning. And also we wanted to have the farm going at the same time as the house. So we didn't want to just move in, focus on the house and then have no farm at the same time. So that's what we, we did both at the same time. We don't regret that because we have a lot of experience under our belt from this past year um, with the animals we have now. So phase six, as you can see, is, is coming up. So these are our foundation pieces. Um, you want to take that one? Okay. So we really, in life, just started to realize that we wanted a solid foundation, and we really felt like these five words, these five acts, really, comp- really laid our groundwork for what we wanted out of our ourselves, out of our family, wanted our children to experience. So it's safe. Food, family, fiddle, and fun. So we wanted to have our children to have a strong faith. We wanted to be reading scripture with them, focusing on memorizing scripture. That's a that's a priority for us. Um, you know, other things can. That's a priority. We make that a priority, and also having clean and good food is really a priority. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But family time, obviously, we want family to be important to our children. Um, it's very important to both of us. And then fiddle. So we really wanted to be able to have a, a joy and a, that, that kind of represents joy and music. It doesn't have to be fiddle, but right now we have three children who want to play fiddle. So um, I'm actually learning with them and it's been a really good experience. So we definitely wanted to. And I, th- I think, it, I think it goes in line with what you're hoping to do because it's great to, you know, perfect oneself to be able to play an instrument, not just listen to an instrument or listen to the radio, but actually to learn how to play something. And therefore you become more complete as a human being. And you can have your own house music. You'll you'll eventually have your own sort of orchestra in that particular home, as well as permaculture farming. See, so it's great, it's great. Okay, yeah, so, and really the, the questions that we started to ask ourselves there's these three questions. When people ask, when people say, we've had people ask us, you know, what, what started this? How did you, how do you have time to do this ministry stuff? And it started with a really simple prayer of Lord, what else can I do for you today? And I, I, it's a simple prayer, but I, I caution people that it's a dangerous prayer because it, it really, God will show you like one little thing 
And then like one more little thing and, you know, slowly, 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 he built up both of us in a way that it, it allows us to do more with our days and um, to really be stronger. And we can't say slowly, I mean, it really is. I mean, we can kind of trace it back like seven years yeah. to where Caitlin really read the gospel that first time. And it, it started things in us that, that we probably never really saw coming. And I'm sure our family never saw coming. Yes. And so it's been, <laughs> been fun to surprise ourselves and surprise uh, everybody uh, with, with what yeah. comes next. So, um, yeah, I mean, Caitlin prayed one time when we were in that little quarter acre lot in Charlotte. Uh, what, what, what did you pray? That something about um, that I would be. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, I was starting to go down this journey of like two coats, give away one, like all these, you know, like just really starting to minimize our focus on our needs and not our wants. That was the biggest thing. Just really start focusing on our needs. And there was a time when I just prayed to God. I was like, okay, look, if you're going to take me down this path, fine, but he needs to be like on the same page with me because it, like, it just, it, it's not the same if your husband or your spouse is thinking differently. And it wasn't that I was trying to change him, but it was just that I felt like, okay, God, you've got to show him too, because I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to explain this. Like you explained it to me, you know? So then, so then what happened? So I, I, one day I was, <laughs> I think I told Caitlin, I, I, I can't get, and I hadn't done really any farming in my life or anything like that, but I said, Caitlin, I can't get it out of my head that all I can think about is farming and wanting to be on land and work land. And I don't know where this is coming from, but. Now, Ben, Ben, why, why do you think um, that's good for a man or, or for a human being to be connected to the land and to be able to produce things from the land? How, how does it think help a human being in general? Absolutely. I mean, it's like you said in the beginning, in, in the introduction there, it's, it's, it's our vocation. In the, in the garden, Adam was tending to the, the garden and the animals, and, you know, he was responsible for all of that. And right. just the more that I've experienced that and seen, um, you know, that, that we can produce right. things for our family and, and, and not just consume. I think that's really been something that we've focused very heavily yes. on. And to be able to, and to be able to pass that on to our children as well, so they can they can learn and, and be able to do the same for future generations. That's what I would love to know. As you go through this slideshow, um, you talked about the seasons earlier. You, you began to note the seasons more. You know, the seasons for this fruit or this season for this vegetable or whatever. And I guess how the children are reacting to this because they're going to be formed in this very early so for them it's going to be second nature you know there'll be this will be very very ordinary for them which is you know something that a lot of children aren't really connected to they don't really have that connection to the land so um maybe, maybe as you continue this slideshow maybe you could just also see maybe how this might have affected your children in a positive way I think this slide's a perfect place to start talking about that because this little girl in this picture who's wearing boots and 
walking on this little gravel road right here. She, when we lived in Charlotte, hated dirt. Like we would, it's not that we wouldn't go outside. She just hated it. And now she can't get enough of it. Like she loves being outside and loves the animals. And that was a huge change. And, you know, it's just like you said, it's something we didn't grow up with, but we've seen so much value for our kids so far. And we've only been doing it, you know, not just a couple of years yet, but um, yeah. Good. So you mentioned, you mentioned number three, if you want to go through that. And, and, and maybe, you know, a lot of people, you know, w- would label this, oh, this is a bunch of environmentalism. You know, they sort of, it's like a turnoff to some people. And you have the word sustainable and things like that. So maybe if you could explain this in a Catholic way, that this is actually stewardship and, 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 and you know, being sim- more simple is actually a very Catholic way of thinking. But so if you go through number three a little bit on your slide there, um, what lifestyle and food habits would be sustainable if all people on earth did them? So, so may, may, maybe touch on that if you could. So we, we've realized that just American culture in general, like modern American culture is full of so many things that are really in reality, they're, they're wants. If you, you know, if you had to categorize a want or a need here, a lot of these things are wants. And so we started looking at like a global scale and a good example would be um, Habitat for Humanity where they have, you know, they're building different homes in different countries for different cultures. Um, They're not the exact same structure everywhere, right? We'll look at what we have in America. I mean, just, there's actually codes that require us to have electrical outlets every 12 feet. You know, never mind how often we're going to plug things in or, or regardless, there's just so many standards. The standard way of living that we've come to know is a very, very high um, level of, of, you know, quote, luxury if you're looking on a world scale. So we just started to realize that these things were not sustainable. It's not realistic for every person to need cable, to need you know, even a hot shower, like it's not a requirement for life. It's, it's nice to have, but it's not required for living. So we just started to look at, you know, what if, because there should be like some base level and something that I've personally kind of started to, to kind of adopt in my own life and in my own ways of thinking, not that I, you know, not that you have to be real strict about it all the time, but you can be, is, you know, if someone were in need of this item, like, if they were in poverty and they were struggling and and they didn't have this item, whatever it is, would it be in good conscience to rally support so this person could buy that item? For example, you know, somebody in in poverty, you know, they they don't need a you know a fill in the blank, you know, a a sports car or you know whatever it is. Um, so. Those that, that that would be a want, and that you know that just paying attention to where those fall, if it's a need or a want, is just a, it's a healthy way of living, and you know food habits as well. So these are so the, the things I mentioned so far, are kind of lifestyle things, but also food habits. I mean, it's not it's not sustainable for everybody in the world to depend on these mass farms that are just you know commercial farms where they just have this giant field of corn or this giant field of grapes, like. There's not, that's, a, that's actually a soil depleting thing. There's value in rotating your crops and there's value in um, running animals through those areas so that they have a chance to build up nitrogen in the soil and 
um, you know, the, the contributing uh, soil health, to the soil health there and not just taking and taking. So what we know as quote normal is actually not necessarily God's design. And this is a bit, what we're, what we're going to be talking about when we talk about permaculture, these are actually things that are very much in line with God's designs and God's plan for our lives. Um, you know, it's, it's important. I think you, you mentioned it very well in the introduction here, Father, that, you know, it's important that we pay attention to these things that are, you know, um, that, what, how, how Jesus would see these things, right? So um, I'll go ahead and advance the slide here. Um, I'm going to go to this one for just a moment here. Let me go back. So um, remembering our why. So I'm going to jump down to good Catholic stewardship because that's kind of what you were mentioning. So this, this idea that good Catholic stewardship and eco-friendly living, environmentalism, these things are not mutually exclusive. So they're actually one in the same. If we're going to be good Catholics, we should be good stewards of the environment. Um, because we want to take care of the creation that God put in motion. Unfortunately, today, I don't think people think Catholic and they think environmentalism. I, I don't think that connection is there. Um, unfortunately, too, we, you know, we have all this very um, agenda-driven language when people begin talking about environmental issues, and it's very unfortunate. I think there needs to be a lot more voice uh, from the church and from Catholics who are living, um, you know, really trying to embrace stewardship and hospitality and, and more natural ways of living. Um, I think there's there's a need for that because people need to associate those things together. We need to, and, that, and what a great evangelization tool as well, you know. Um, yeah. So I'll go back to where we were. Okay. Um, yeah, here we are. Okay. So this page just kind of talks about um, some books and resources that really led the way on our journey. We mentioned the Gospels. We also, um, when we were living in that little quarter acre lot that we were talking about, we got a newsletter from the Marian Fathers um, up in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And they were talking about the Little Way Farm, which at the time was just this really, really small initiative. And now it's really growing into something beautiful up there in Massachusetts. We had the opportunity to visit and it was really, really neat to see. Um, but that kind of planted a spark in us. And we learned about this guy named Joel Salatin, who's the next bullet down. Um, he has a book called The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. And his point is that if we allow pigs to be pigs, and if we allow chickens to be chickens, it becomes easier for us to be human, for humans to be humans. And for, you know, you understand that a man is a man and a woman is a woman because you're, you're allowing nature to exist, um, so he wrote this book, and it's a fantastic read. It's a great starting point if you're interested. You want to talk about food in the field? Yeah. So the other uh, book, another book we have listed here was was Fleet of the Fields. And a couple weeks ago, uh, Father, you had um, uh, discussion on distributism, which is yes, it's the basis of the book. And uh, this was one that Caitlin and I, I think I started reading the first chapter, maybe, and I said, Caitlin. We're gonna to have to read this one together because I I see where this is going and I'm, and I'm not going down this road by myself. So uh, we we both uh, read that one and it's a it's a series of essays, uh, Chesterton and Hilaire Belloc and, and and those that crowd back in the 20s and 30s. Um, that it was actually the way I came across this book. Uh, I 
I was just thinking like, where are the Catholic Amish? Like where, where are the Catholics living that lifestyle? Is there anybody out there? Like, and I, I just thought I'd see where that would lead. Sure. So it, it came up with the Catholic land movement and there was actually a, 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 a new Catholic land movement that uh, actually we ended up meeting one of the opening founders of that down in, in North Carolina as well. And uh, he introduced us to several uh, really interesting ideas there. So. Um, yeah. So, uh, in, in regards to, to, to the, the the first book you mentioned, just getting back, just real quick, pigs being pigs, let pigs be pigs. Um, what what does that mean? Like that the pigs should be allowed to act as they would in nature when they're on a farm, as opposed to the sort of agribusiness viewpoint of huge hog factories. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you went to a confinement pig operation, you practically wouldn't recognize them as, as pigs. And that's that's the mm-hmm. point of this. Is, um, Joel Salatin in the book calls them essentially concentration camp uh, type facilities uh, for pigs. I mean, I know it's... Yeah. So not just, not, not just free-range chickens, but free-range pigs? Is that how you would... Uh... Uh, uh, rotate and we'll get into that too but rotating pigs through pasture and you know pigs can get i think it's up to 50 percent of their diet from from grass and the things they root up from from the grass um Mm -hmm. we actually had we started with a a particularly um good pig for pasture it was the idaho pastured pig it's a newer breed and and they're they're bred to be able to eat grass which you don't typically think of and so we reduced the grain consumption that we would need and um, but yeah, they're, they're made to, to be on grass and be out uh, rooting around and in the woods particularly. There's a lot of good things for, for pigs to find in the woods that, and they'll help restore, restore pasture. And uh, as long as you keep them moving, you don't, you don't keep them in the same spot all the time. Um, that's, that's kind of the key. So. And the, the beautiful thing too is that the more you allow these animals to be in their natural ways, the more you reap the benefits because the food that you're consuming that has more vitamins in it and more nutrients for you. So in, in allowing nature to have its natural way, everyone ends up healthier. So that's awesome. So if you could, so what you're seeing is a connection that if you observe, like your children would say, they observe a pig being a pig or a, you know, a chicken being a chicken, they might be able to be keyed in more on what their nature is as a human being and how a human being should act mm-hmm. and how he should behave because they're more keyed into the nature of things. So you, you've seen that, that, that that can be a helpful way to form children mm-hmm. to see things in a more natural setting. Yeah, so taking our children down um, to go feed the pigs and to go see the pigs. They they particularly enjoyed keeping pigs when we had them here at the farm. And um, it's just a really neat thing. We actually very intentionally named them like bacon, sausage, and, you know, names that we wouldn't get attached to because they were going to be in our freezer. And that's, that's where they are right now. So we butchered the pigs a couple months ago. And I think it's really good for children to see animals dying honestly um we just butchered chickens on monday and our children were a part of that and learning with you know learning how to do it and 
I think that's really good for them because they learn that there is a sacrifice. I mean, our, our friend that we farm with here, he was telling his little daughter, you know, while she was asking what was going on and chickens bleeding. And he said, you know, this chicken's giving his life for us. He's, he's giving his life so we can have food. And that's so foundational to our faith. Like just, if we just pause right there, like Christ died so we could live and have life. So, you know, all this stuff about, you know, don't eat meat, don't, you know, we're not, we're missing the point. Yes, this animal is dying for our life and we were given dominion over animals. So we don't make, I've had to learn and I, I, I look forward to, you know, my children as they are growing up and is having to learn also that, you know, you don't make decisions for the animals how you would for humans. It's, it's totally different and it needs to be because we have dominion there. Wonderful. There's a, there's a uh, poem uh, Wendell Berry wrote. Uh, it's called The Hog Killing. And we actually read that poem before we uh, started our, our butchering that, that day. Uh, right. Back in the winter. And, and the last line of the poem is something along the lines of that, let the uh, animals become men instead of the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, and that, was, that was kind of foundational. Well put. Just, just quickly about this Catholic land movement. What, how would you like if you had if you had to define that like in two or three sentences? What will be the Catholic land movement? Getting back to the land, or yeah, definitely. So what it was, it was back in the twenties and thirties uh, in in England. Well, actually, I think it started in Scotland, um, and there was a group of. Uh, they, they, they were these Catholic land societies, I think is what they referred to them, or Catholic land associations. Um, and they would, uh, the goal was to, plant, the original, original goal was to plant uh, men and then eventually families on land that they could farm. Um, they could have their own small homestead and be able to provide for themselves. But also, to, it wasn't just about farming. I don't want us to just focus on farming. That's, that's kind of the focus that we've found for us particularly, but, but it was also the trades, um, blacksmithing, carpentry, um, things that, that people can produce with, with their own hands and, and to be able to have communities that could provide for themselves. I think, um, I use the word too, but self-sufficiency I think has become kind of a, a, a bad buzzword that, that we all try to use because I don't think self-sufficiency is possible. Um, it's got to be a community-dependent uh, mindset, or else it just won't work. So that's one thing that we've found with with uh, we're farming with the Clarks here that that are uh, that own the land, and that we bought a little piece from them. But uh, if we didn't have that that community and the, the sharing, you know, we we bought a milk cow and we bought it together, and so we're alternating milking days. So that you know we've been able to build a house during during starting the farm as well, which we wouldn't have been able to do at the speed that we've been able to if it was just us trying to muddle through it and learn. And, you know, they've had some experience prior with butchering pigs. And so that, that community aspect that is uh, impossible here has really, really been helpful. So. Mm -hmm. And helpful for our children a lot because they have, you know, we're not, we're in a very rural area and there's not, you know, kids everywhere. But you know, when we're here with another family, there are kids right down down the road. So that's really, really been nice. Wonderful, good. All right, then, before we go to the next slide, 
of all those books and resources, what would be one that you would sort of recommend to start if people wanted to learn more about this? That's uh, I think a very good uh, opening, just opening to get the idea of what we're talking about here because it has a lot of good biblical references is this Back to Eden film. Um, there's a guy, his name's Paul Gauchi. He's out in I think Washington, somewhere out, out west. Um, and he has figured out a really awesome way of gardening. Um, we haven't really been able to experience, experiment with it yet, but um, it's, it's all, it's, it's a way of, he, he just went out one day and realized that his farm, his garden was just not what it could be. And, and he just started asking God, what, uh, what should he do? And, and it went back to Genesis and, and the way that they tended the garden and, the way things were, and he just looked in the woods, and the way the, the woods worked continually, re, you know, reproducing and providing abundance in, in these woods with you know trees and you know huge uh, things that are able to just sustain themselves. And so he looked at that, and he looked at the the cover on the ground and how important that was. Uh, so he uses wood chips, particularly to to cover and, and not leave uh, the ground bare. Uh, so yeah, as far as as far as two foundational, definitely fleet of the fields. Uh, that just to be able to get the Catholic, you know, foundational aspect of that, uh, and and why it's important from a, a faith based standpoint. I think that would be that would be the place to start. But a more practical, uh, if you want to see, you know, what what's possible, and you know, how can we do do gardening and farming better, uh, definitely the Back to Eden and, and some, any of Joel Salatin's mm -hmm. information is really great. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, please continue, that'd be great. Okay, so our goal with our family, with our lives is to get to heaven. When we got married, my goal is to help him get to heaven, his goal is to help me get to heaven, and in having children, you know, our goal as their parents is just to get them to heaven. So, um, you know, our purpose on earth in we know this as Catholics, is to know, love, and serve God. And so, like Benjamin was saying, we felt like this was a great way to be able to do that. So um, we felt like our, we wanted our children to know, and I think all children should know about natural ways of living, how to make a fire, how to, you know, how to grow food. I, I was, I can't remember how old, and I just, I remember thinking, like, wait a minute, I have always bought, you know, this food from a grocery store, and, you know, if, if something ever happened, or, you know, why don't, why, why isn't this common knowledge? Why is gardening not in every backyard? I mean, when they, you know, you look at victory gardens when World War II was going on and everybody was, the government was encouraging people to farm. And now we're in a situation where it seems like it's almost the reverse. It's becoming more difficult to get seeds. It's becoming, um, it, things are just getting more complicated. I think Caitlin mentioned that before, or what we felt like was abundance, which we, you know, mm -hmm. not that we didn't, but, uh, and being able to give was something that we, we were able to do. But I, I think we look now and think of the scarcity in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that if something, if, you know, if we didn't have the grocery store, how long would it take before we don't have food and we don't have, you know, certain things like that, you know, the water system shut down, the electricity shut not to, not to, doomsday type of right. thinking, but just what would happen and to start thinking about uh, 
what we would do, how we would produce uh, things ourselves. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, like that should, if the electricity really goes out or, you know, something like that and it's broken, like at some point, like I, you know, if trucks aren't running or, you know, like at some point, like, shouldn't we have the knowledge, at least the knowledge of how to do these things? Wouldn't that be like a good thing to pass on to our children? And so we realized that we needed to get that for ourselves and to secure that for ourselves first. Um, and so, and also I would just say, you were talking about children, you know, having our children outside doing natural things is really important to us. So I know, you know, bike riding and rollerblading and playing on a place that these things are fun and great, but really having them, you know, learn to care for animals and know how to forage for berries and medicinal herbs and those kinds of things. And, you know, learn, learn how to be outside and just play in the woods and go, go run and play. These are things that, you know, our children, unless kids have the opportunity to kind of be, be alone in nature and kind of, I mean, supervised, of course, but like to have that opportunity to really explore and, and to tend to animals on their own, you know, um, we're going to be giving our children each their own garden plot um, and allowing them to choose what goes in there. What is, what do they want on the dinner table? You know, it's up to them as well. So, you know, it's a healthy thing for children to see and experience, um, yeah, and then I, I would say in terms of good Catholic stewardship, one thing early in motherhood that really stuck out to me was cloth diapering. Um, before, before our first was born, that was something that I just really felt strongly about. And at the bottom of the slide, you can see it says, because Jesus is coming back, what will he find? And I just thought, you know what? We don't know when he's coming back, but it could be thousands of years from now. And I don't want him to come back and find piles and piles and piles of diapers because they're just sitting in landfills, you know, we have all these babies and, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to, to have your life in this world, but we don't need to go there and fill all these landfills up with all this consumption. So the idea of things being um, produced and the, thing, the idea of reusing things, you know, we talk about throwaway culture, but really, you know, it's disgusting what we're doing to the planet and to God's green earth. So um, that hit us hard. Sure. Okay. And so this was um, saying there's not there's not a um, hundred people. This is the Fulton J. Sheen's quote that there are not a hundred people in America who hate the Catholic Church. There are millions of people who hate what they wrongly believe to be the Catholic Church, which is which is quite a different thing. So you know, we also feel very strongly that if people were seeing the Catholic Church really paving the way in environmentalism and just having this natural way of living, um, you know, I think it would, I think it would at least soften hearts to what we're all about and what God is all about, because God is merciful. He's a God of abundance. You know, these, these methods of farming are, are building up the soil. So we've, we've talked about, you say five minutes, okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me go here. Yeah. So we kind of skipped a few there, but as far just another time, but it's, kind of talked about some of the resources and things like that, but as far as what is permaculture? So uh, just in definition terms, so the development of agricultural ecosystems intended to be sustainable and self-sufficient. So there's that word again, but I mean, it is, it is the idea that the ecosystems themselves are self-sufficient um, and that they can, uh, and permaculture when it's presented is not always from a, God-centered uh, emphasis, I guess, but 
essentially it is. It's using God's natural design. So uh, we've, we've really begun to, over the course of many years, but really appreciate clean food, non-GMO, um, Joel Salatin, to use his terms, beyond organic. So um, organic has kind of become a, a certification type thing that doesn't really mean necessarily what it was originally intended. And it, it's important to really, we feel local is, is so much more important than you know, a label or anything like that. So uh, definitely non-GMO, uh, we feel like that's important for us. But local food and supporting our, our local agriculture. Um, so, in terms of permaculture, though, uh, rotational grazing is a big thing that we're we're trying to focus on. So we we did, like I said, we bought a, a milk cow with our, our neighbors, and uh, you know it's it's very low cost infrastructure. So you, as you see in the picture here, it's a uh, you know these fiberglass poles and a single strand of of electrical wire. Uh, and that'll keep a cow in. If you have, if, if the cow has what it needs, it's got water and it's got good, good forage, uh, it'll stay there and it'll eat all day. And, and it sees, you know, right on the other side of that wire is tomorrow's ice cream. Um, it's ready to move right as soon as you're, as soon as you're ready to move it. So uh, daily moves is what we really made it a point to do. Um, so that the pasture has time to read. Regenerate. Regenerate, that's the word. Uh, and, and you're not overusing any of the pasture. So we kind of skipped through a picture there of uh, the overused land and the unused land. But, uh, so just, just thinking about, uh, we put this picture on here of the elephants with the birds, you know, keeping animals in the systems that they are naturally. So whenever you if you think of a picture of animals or a picture of elephants out, uh, you always see birds around them. That's just something that, that so what are they, why are the birds there? Well, the animals, uh, the, the elephant's waste becomes a, a great place where bugs are and, and the birds eat through the, the waste and, and they, they get their sustenance from you know, what the elephant leaves behind. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. So that, uh, you know, just that natural cycle of things that allows, and, and that, you know, spreading out of the manure, it allows the, uh, the manure to, you know, because the, the birds will pick through the, the manure and, and spread the manure back onto the pasture, which helps to regenerate. So, so one, one thing that we're focusing on as well is keeping, so our chickens follow our cows. So, uh, you know, the cows go through in one day and maybe within, within three days, we, we have a, a flock of chickens that goes behind them and they, they do the work for us. You know, we've got our, our employees on the farm here and some of them have beaks and claws and, uh, and you know, the, the chickens will go through and, and they'll do the work for us, spreading the manure. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's just using those natural systems to, to continue the I think, you know, at our, at our parish, we often speak a lot about um, the notion of sort of the modern revolutions that we have experienced. So you have the Copernican revolution, Darwinian evolution, or revolution, which is, okay, evolution is revolution. Um, but, but, but also like the revolution against Christ the King. We talk about this all the time in our, in our parish, and yet there's also 
sort of a revolutionary thinking regarding um, sort of sort of the denaturing of things that there's like a revolutionary tendency to sort of dominate and abuse nature at times, sort of reform it or genetically manipulate it as opposed to sort of accepting it as it is. So in a sense, this is a counter-revolutionary movement where we're going back to, well, the way things ought to be in a sense. Uh, in the beginning, it was not so. Uh, to try to recapture um, proper living, uh, you know, in, in connection with, with, with the nature that surrounds us. So I, I think it's really uh, important what you've, what you've presented here this evening. So are there more slides? Uh, we had a couple more. So just sure, please, yes. Uh, just as far as why good clean food. So we, you know, good stewardship of our bodies. Uh, we realized that we started to realize very early on that you, you have to pay more for unadulterated food. Um, and at first struggled with this concept, but you know, with the growing family, but made it that, uh, that important, that priority for us. And, and it, you can pay a lot or you can work to produce it. So we've tried to start working to produce the, as much as we can. And, and, but, it, but it is important that we, that we pay what it actually should cost. You know, if you look at that, that gallon of milk that you get from the supermarket and it's, I don't even, I haven't bought a gallon of milk in quite a while. So, but whatever it is, $2, whatever it is, you know. It's, look at that and think about what it took to get that milk to you. And is that what it really should cost? Um, right. There's a lot that goes into, into that. So. And are they able eating the right things? And so I think this might be a good slide to kind of wrap up if you think. We can maybe end after this slide. So um, are genetic modifications pleasing to the father? So basically, we, we you know, hear that phrase, you know, you are what you eat. And so I just pulled out this, this Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely and gracious, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we can use this and kind of think whatever is pure and, and, and good and excellent, these are things we should be eating too. Like not only should that be food for our thought, but food for our physical body. So, you know, we're people who consume God in the Eucharist as Catholics. We consume God in our bodies. We have an obligation to keep our souls clean. And also, you know, our, we're, as humans, we're comprised of body and soul. So, you know, our physical body is so important and we should be eating and consuming things that are pure and unadulterated as much as possible. Um, so that we can be a worthy temple for the reception of God and a worthy steward of our bodies, of our land, of our families, of everything that God's given us. So that's how we feel about that. <laughs> well said, well said. So um, if it's okay, um, I, I'll check to see what people have asked, some of the questions, is that all right? Yeah. Okay, so let me see what uh, some of the questions are for uh, for you. Um, so this is the first question that's asked for Caitlin and Ben here. Okay, is the Mason family able to provide for the family exclusively from what is produced on the farm? Are you there yet, I guess? <laughs> We're not there yet. We, okay. We hope to be there uh, at some point, but now, and, and I, I wouldn't say that that's even uh, full goal. Like I said before, it's a, we have to be community dependent. We have to, we have to build that community around us. So, you know, if, if we're uh, 
we're providing certain things and, and able to barter or whatever for, for other things, you know, that someone, another family is able to provide. But, uh, right. That's, yeah. Wonderful. Another question, do you sell produce grown on your farm? Yeah, yeah. you sell produce. So right now we're selling eggs and um, we're, we're exploring ways that we can provide uh, meat, like pork meat and bacon and things that are pork to consumers as well. So we're, we're planning and to, and chicken, yeah. So we're planning to um, start all of that right here. Let me go to this last slide. So this is kind of what our farm is doing now. So we're near the Ark. We are focused on the Clark family that's with us here. They're, they're gonna, their plan is to start Airbnbs here on the farm so that families can come and um, learn how to do what we're doing for themselves. And then we hope to also um, expand into market farming a lot more than we are right now. So that's definitely one of our goals at the farm. And we plan to do more of that this year. Um, but at this time right now, we're, we're just selling eggs. So, yeah. And we do have our, our pig uh, operation that we did last year was, was so that uh, this year we would be able to invite other families to come and we could raise the, the pigs here and and butcher them together one day. So, yeah. And with the families, like if people want to learn how to butcher a pig, we're interested in helping them, not just, you know, not just helping them raise the meat, like by feeding the pigs for them, but also like, hey, come on down for, for pig butcher day. And you can literally help us make the sausage. It's really fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's great. That's fantastic. So, and then uh, another question, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Have you, have you heard of Hugh Owen? Is that, is that name ring a bell? Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. So this is asked, this is a question regarding him. Hugh Owen and the Colbay Creation Center are big promoters of the Back to Eden method of gardening. Have the Masons had an opportunity to discuss what they're doing with the Colbay Center? Have you actually discussed things with no. Hugh Owen or people that are connected with that institution? Yeah, I, I knew that they that was on their website, but I, I haven't been able to discuss that with them. Uh, mm -hmm. We did we did see Hugh and, and Pam Acker actually present in Charlotte. So yeah, that's how before right. we ever came here, before we knew Pam went to the parish, we heard her speak in Charlotte. So that was fun to when somebody said, "Oh, Pam's here," we were like, "Wait, hold what?" <laughs> so, yeah, we'd love to talk to them sometime. Just learn. No, 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 Hugh, when he, he talks a lot about GMOs, right? Genetically modified organisms. Can, can you give us, I mean, I kind of mentioned it in the introduction, but what is, in your mind, GMO food, and why is it maybe not good, potentially, for yeah. human consumption? So, I was debating this in college when I was getting my biology degree. I remember, like, the two camps, the people for and against GMOs, and um, I've always been in the against camp. And a lot of my reasoning is because it's the same thing with like the long-term effects of vaccines and things like that, that we don't always know. We don't know the long-term effects of what we're doing to our food system. And unfortunately, by the time we find out, it may be too late to make drastic changes. Our population right now is, is in some ways, unfortunately, artificially sustained. I would go out on a limb and say that because we're being sustained by things that are adulterated foods. They're, 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 you know, we're mass consuming these, these mass adulterated products. And we are seeing, you know, diabetes and cancer and all kinds of things that, you know, yeah, sure, they, I'm sure they were around before, 
but we're able to see some connections with what we consume and what, you know, I know there's a connection also with, you know, adulterated products that we're putting on our bodies and, you know, like physically like deodorants and aluminum connected to um, Alzheimer's, things like that. So we're learning more. And as we do, my concern is that we're not, we're, it's going to be, we're going to get a catch. We're going to get to a point where we, we can't go back because the seed companies and, you know, um, people that are like they're creating seeds that grow plants with seeds that you can't make another plant from them so it's kind of like you know we put everybody on birth control and and then there's going to be effects from that like we're seeing a lot of infertility if we start to see that with our food you know at some point there could be some massive major mass problems that we have in our world with feeding you know so you see these you know these companies that say oh we're going to feed the world and you know if their methods aren't in line with god's ways i'm going to seriously doubt them now, i think it goes back to your your original introduction father as far as you know in the beginning it was not so if we can look at if we can look at different things that have been introduced that in the beginning, it was not that way. You know, why is that? And it, is it because we're trying to solve a problem that we created? And I think look, looking through that lens gives us a good perspective. So, so where do you get seeds? So you're saying that like these Monsanto-like companies, they'll produce seeds that will grow a plant or some sort of vegetable or whatever. But the seeds that are produced by that, that new growth are not fertile, they're actually infertile. Mm -hmm. You can't get new seeds from the growth. Okay, so, so where do you get traditional seeds that actually do what seeds are supposed to do? So they're called heirloom seeds, and that's, that's the label that you wanna look for. If you want to propagate your own plants from your seeds, that's the best. So heirloom, and you can get that on, on the internet? Is there like a... Can. There's a really good website that has like $1.99 or dollar seed packs. It's called migardener.com. So migardener.com is good. I think Baker Seed Catalog is where a friend was getting them. Um, but there's, you want to look for that heirloom label and then make sure you're saving your seeds. So once you get the produce from your crop, you want to, you can start saving them yourselves. You kind of dry them out on, you know, on a towel or something and you can, you can store them and label them in envelopes, you know, or, um, my father-in-law does that a lot, and it's just a really good way to start uh, your own self-sufficiency as much as you can. Like, we have a breeding program now. We're starting to hatch out chickens, so hopefully we'll have chicks for sale at some point here soon, too. But um, that's kind of important to us is making sure that we're able to get some food, you know, propagated and started from our farm because, you know, you just it's good to be... It's good too if you can <laughs> to produce sure. if you can. Sure. So remind us, you're in Williamstown, right? Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So how close are you near? Are you near to the Ark? We're right by the Ark. Yeah. Right by the Ark. Okay. Good. 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 And how many? You you don't have a huge. You have a small. Would you have a couple of acres? What What do you have? We have like one about one and a half. Acres. One and a half acres. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we're on, but the Eucharistio Farms property here that our friends own, you know, the, the rest of the property is yeah. about 120 acres. So okay. you go all the way down to the creek. There's a gorgeous spot down there, um, down at the creek where we can hang out. 
Sure. Is this? I'm not sure if you want to answer. Is this a Catholic family that has that owns the uh, the larger sort of? So they're Christian family. They're they're not currently practicing Catholics. No. Um, okay. And um, yeah, no, they're they're Christian family, but they chose the name Eucharisteo. We we were very drawn to the name Eucharisteo as Catholics because it has the word Eucharist in it. Um, and so that was a, a huge pull for us, but it was just, they, they chose the name for the reason that they loved, um, they loved that it was, you know, the word that Christ used, you know, when he was giving thanks and, um, but, but it was a huge pull for us and just a coincidental kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate, um, all that you have uh, presented to us today, uh, this evening. It's just really a, an inspiring thing. Now, to end, I mean, what would you suggest to, let's say, a family that, you know, they're involved, you know, they, they have a number of things going on in their life, but they would like to maybe do something, but they may not be able to do, you know, everything at once. Who could, right? Mm -hmm. What would be like a first step? For a person who would want to be a bit more conscious of being a proper steward of creation and maybe being more connected with producing and not just consuming? I would say go uh, connect with people who are doing it. You know, yeah. um, connect with people who are. Come visit us. This <laughs> us, but you know, yeah. the people that, that are doing it and, and help you go help, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. See, how, see how you can volunteer and, and be a good uh there's always things to do so uh there's always something we can do um, in, in the future i mean would you see it being ideal if in the future somehow some way there could be multiple catholic families yeah who want to sort of have a a, a more rural community that would you know assist each other because like you said i think it was right then you said self-sufficiency is, is is not really a word that we want to sort of embrace because you all you always need somebody else and you need others it is a communal sort of thing so so that's something that, that you would you think that would be a, a good thing to do that there would be others who would sort of come around each other to sort of assist and live this life Absolutely. I, I think that would be the best way for, for it to actually work. You know, I, I think you hear stories a lot of people who want to get back to the land and they go and they try to do everything all at once and burn out and, and then they move back to town. And it's, uh, I think the only way for it to be sustainable and to last is, is for there to be that community. So yeah, I, one of the slides mentioned uh, my kind of my idea I've had is the term for it would be homesteads for humanity. So you know, the idea that maybe there is a way to structure a, you know, there's, there's a lot of big farms, um, you know, and older farmers who, who aren't really using the land the way it, it could be used um, and, and trying to connect those, uh, those farms with the younger, uh, not always younger, but, you know, a lot of times that, that's the case and families who, who would be able to somehow make that work. And it doesn't have to be a, a purchase type situation. You know, keep in mind that, you know, leasing land is, is not, is not a, a, a bad thing. You know, that's mm -hmm. the, the huge initial investment of a, a big farm is not something that most young families can, can probably take on. But 
but right. to lease land and, and to be able to start that way or to have, like you said, a group, a group of families that could maybe uh, go together. And, and oh, if, if you think of the habitat for humanity, the kind of where the homestead humanity idea is coming from is that you have, you would have uh, families that, you know, maybe one family wants to be involved fully and, and be out milking the cow every morning and weeding the garden and doing all that. And another family still wants to have that job in town and be, mm -hmm. and there's that mutual support back and forth to where, you know, maybe there's a, right. however it would work out financially and all that is, is more to figure out. But, uh, right. But it would, it would be something definitely that I'm passionate about and above them. Very good. Well, again, I, I appreciate you taking the time to teach uh, and uh, sort of explain um, uh, the way that uh, this permaculture farming that you're hoping uh, to continue. Um, and I think that you've really benefited our, our audience. And so I appreciate it very, very much. And thank you for all who tuned in too to, uh, to see uh, Caitlin and Ben um, Mason. And they have, of course, a number of children. And uh, of course, you met Trent. Trent has been a part of our show too. And he's been good. So. <laughs> All right, well, then with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Dominus vobiscum et cum spiritutuo, benedictio de potentis patris et filii, et spiritus angelit superbos et maniat semper. Amen. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. God bless now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.